Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome in. It is truly Downtown, the podcast. Episode number 277. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We've got a pair of interesting conversations for you this week. A second part of the program, authors Mark and Mary Kay Liston will talk about their book, Diagnosed. Uh, but up first, how about a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, one of the voices, one of the uh, two lead vocalists of the hugely successful 60s and early 70s group, The Rascals, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're talking about the great Felix Cavalieri, who's got a wonderful new album out called Then and Now. We had a chance to talk about it with Felix right here on Downtown. Felix, uh, good to see you. Nice to talk with you again. How are you, Rich? Good to see you as well. Well, it's uh, so exciting to have this new music out there. The last time we talked with you, the book uh, was coming out, Memoir of a Rascal, but now some some brand new music. Uh, what inspired you to do this uh, first new solo album in about three decades? <laughs> well, you know, uh, we started this uh, album with a premise to take five uh, songs that influenced me and re-record those and write five new songs. And we started it before... It was this thing called the pandemic. So we actually went into a studio, recorded the basic tracks, and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> so we said, oh, boy, well, thank goodness we've got these lovely computers now where we can make music. Because now we can finish it. So we finished it, uh, you know, kind of like this, basically on a Zoom basis, where we can, you know, record our, our instruments and bring them over to a, a, a headquarters just like you're doing here. And, you know, it, it came out really quite well, and it, it helped us pass the time, and uh, it was a labor of love. Well, uh, the first single that's been released, Soul Love, man, what a great song, and what a terrific vocal that is. Well, as I say, you know, when you're locked up in your cage, you know, it's <laughs> it's really it's, it's really great to be able to make music. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of that joy came through the, uh, came through the microphone. I love your version of uh, the great Clarence Carter hit, Slip Away. That has got such a great groove on it. Well, you know, as I say, I tried to emulate the uh, the talent that put those things together, those wonderful songs. And I had heard that song many years back at Atlantic Records. You know, that was also on Atlantic Records, and so were we. So I'm glad you like it. That's great. Thank you. And a terrific version of the, the Lieber and Stoller classic. So many people have done it, but you turn Spanish Harlem into a Felix Cavalieri song. Well, I mean, that's quite a compliment. It, following Benny King is almost impossible. Be Benny was a dear friend, one of the finest singers I've ever heard. I was really, really influenced by him. You know, and if, if your audience does not know all of the Benny King history, you know, going back to the not only as a solo artist, but as a drifter, mm. you should check him out. We're talking with Felix Cavalieri here on Downtown. Uh, the brand new album is called Then and Now. I think, uh, well, I don't know. I got so many favorites on the album, but Get On Home is so much fun. Oh, well, good. Well, there's a gentleman down here by the name of Steve Warriner, who um, I met at the, the Musicians Hall of Fame down here. We got, the got the, uh, the country time. singer and guitarist? Correct. Yeah, great guy. He's been on our show before. And he's a great guy. He's a great talent. So we collaborated. And uh, you see, that's I'm in Nashville, and, 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 and that's what happens down in Nashville. You have people who are 
you know, I won't say pure country, but pretty darn down home stuff with an R&B guy. And that's what comes out. <laughs> well, that one's a lot of fun. And Marianne is a wonderful song. Yeah, I don't know how many of your uh, audience uh, knows that, but that's one of the uh, Ray, Ray Charles classics yeah. that really uh, resonated with me because not not only was he a great uh, kind of a piano player, but he also was a you know a, a very powerful musician with orchestras. Did albums with Count Basie and Duke Ellington's people, and uh, the horns were just great. Well, this is such a good album. Where, where I assume there were a few that that maybe didn't make the cut. Could we see more of these uh, these then and now songs down the road? I hope so. You know, basically, I hope if if this is well received. I know that uh, my band, who w really recorded most of this with me, uh, would love to do some more. What do you do? Anything special, Felix, to keep that that wonderful instrument of yours sounding so good? I eat a lot of good food. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, we we um, you know, you know, basically, uh, you ha you have to really be thankful and blessed that you can still do it because a lot of people can't, you know. So I, I don't take that for granted. I really try to take good care of myself. What your your generation of performers? Uh, so many of them who can are still out there and performing. Uh, do you take inspiration in your case from the old the old R and B guys who uh, who said retire from what I'm I'm playing for a living. I'm going to keep playing as long as I can. Well, I, I know a lot of people in a lot of professions that are when they do retire, they're kind of sorry they did. Mm. They say, well, what am I supposed to do now? You know, I mean, I'm you know I can only take out the garbage so many days. You know, I mean that's <laughs> it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, as long as the people want to hear you and as long as you can do it and do it healthy and, you know, like sound good, I'd like to keep going, sure. I see you've been doing uh, some dates recently with your old bandmate Gene Cornish. What's that been like? Well, you know, uh, it's been interesting, you know, trying to get him back on his feet and, uh, you know, he's coming out there and singing. I'm playing and, uh, you know, uh, I just wish him the very best. Uh, you got to keep up your... Uh, got to keep up your health. You know, he's had a tough time. And and he talked about it in his book. You talked about it as well. Any band, any any group that's so close, you're going to have some some differences along the way. But when it comes to the music and, and those roots and the work that you did together, um, you guys are like brothers in many ways. Yeah, we lost our drummer. We lost yeah. Dino Danelli this year. And uh, Eddie uh, is really not... Uh, working he hasn't worked in quite a while but those of us that want to work you know we'll just keep on keeping on and your music the music of the rascals all these years later it sounds absolutely as fresh as it did all those years ago and we, we've talked with you about it it starts with with great songs but also terrific performances and production that that never ever sounds dated atlantic records atlantic records provided the facility and the talent uh, behind the boards, behind the scene in the studio. Uh, it was something I'll always be thankful for. And, and you had some options along the way, but uh, how important was it for you to have that opportunity to be on that label specifically? Well, they were the only label that allowed me, uh, us, to produce ourselves. I, I didn't want anybody taking over the helm. You know, uh, we had a lot of people that would have, you know, changed our sound to be their sound. Uh, and I, I wanted to keep our sound. They were the only ones that allowed that to happen. 
I, I was looking at the, some numbers the other day, and still, uh, Timepiece, that greatest hits album, it still bounces into the Billboard charts even today on a regular basis, and will will show up in the top two hundred. Yeah, the, the uh, greatest hits albums usually usually like you know people like to get them all at one in one place, you know. But uh, that's been a good good perennial for us. Uh, of all those rascal songs, is, is there one uh, more than any of the others that you love performing these days? Oh, well, it all depends. You know, like, as I say, it's kind of like saying, which one of your kids do you like? Well, right. this week it's, you know, uh, they're all fun. People got to be free. Uh, you, know, you know, I take a lot of um, uh, liberties in, in the middle of people got to be free. Uh, and so basically I can stretch that thing out. So I have a good time with that one. And the new album, Then and Now, uh, you you co-produced that as well. Do you love uh, being there in the studio, creating just that perfect sound? Yeah, I, I really, I always did enjoy the studios, even though it's home studio at this point. Right. I, I, I really did. And uh, Steve Warren also has a beautiful studio down here. Spent some time in that. Although, as I say, this was during COVID. We were kind of limited to my home, our homes. But uh, as, as it eased up, we got out. There's nothing like a real studio. I mean, with all due respect, you know, to the home recordings, there's nothing like a real, real multi-million dollar studio. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking about that collaboration with you and Steve, and and I feel like in a lot of ways there are some great similarities between country music, the, the real country music, uh, back in the '60s and 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 '70s, and some of those R&B songs too. And there were there were so many people. Well, Ray Charles, who had uh, one of his biggest albums, Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music. Absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people don't know about that album. That was a pretty darn good album. Absolutely. Well, Felix, yeah. it's well, so great. Don't forget the South is uh, Memphis and Nashville, yeah. man. That's and and of course Georgia. You know, you got James Brown, Otis mm-hmm. Redding coming from here. You know, Little Richard coming from here. Uh, Chuck Berry. You know, I mean, everybody should know the South is uh, is alive and well. Great to have new music from you. The album is called Then and Now, sounding better than ever. Felix Cavallari, so good to talk with you again on the show. Uh, welcome back. We wish you uh, continued health and success, and, and hope the album does so well for you. Well, Rich, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Great speaking to you again. Felix Cavallari talking about his brand new album, Then and Now, here on Downtown. We'll take a break for a word from Cross Insurance and back with authors Mark and Mary Kay Liston right after that. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With a network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and Rome, but I want to go home. Hey, we're back here on Downtown. Our next guests on the program are the authors of a powerful new book called Diagnosed, Inspirational Stories After an Alarming Medical Diagnosis. Our conversation with Mark and Mary Kay Liston here on Downtown. Thanks, Rich. We're Hi, so Rich. excited to be here. What an honor to be on your show. We've <laughs> yeah. been listening and, and looking at, at some of the guests you've had in the past, so thank you so much for inviting us. Well, I'm glad you won't have to spin the wheel. 
<laughs> we are uh, we're very happy to have you here with us. Uh, the book is is so interesting to me because I we were talking about it yesterday on the show. Yeah, you, you always wonder, yeah, what would you do? How would you respond if if you got that that somewhat frightening diagnosis? And you uh, you live that, Mark. And and of course, what what made your diagnosis of lung cancer so shocking is the fact that you were a non-smoker, and as you point out hadn't really been exposed to secondhand smoke much. No, not at all. Not my whole life. I worked in an office. So it was very, very scary, quite frankly, when they say, Mark, you've got lung cancer. Oh, no. So I looked at Mary Kay, and uh, we shed a tear or two, said a quick prayer, and said, okay, it's up to you, Lord, because we can't handle this one. And that's how it started. And what was it that, that also made you uh, turn immediately to, to journaling, to writing down everything that was going on to have that record? I started writing in high school. I like to write. I really do. And when Mary Kay and I met about 20 years ago, everything I wrote, she fixed and made it look a whole lot better um, to the point, Rich, where I'd write something and she'd go through it, make about 57 changes, give it back to me. And she said, what do you think? I said, didn't make any changes, huh? <laughs> no, no, I made quite a few changes. So we make a good team. <laughs> yeah, we really do. Well, and obviously you made a good team in, in dealing with this medical situation. Uh, Mary Kay, what's, what was your first thought when, when Mark was diagnosed? It was, it was shocking. We were sitting in an ER room, and the ER doctor is the one who told us, and he said, you better get yourself uh, an oncologist. We're like, holy smokes, how does one get an oncologist? What is, we just didn't have a clue. So we, uh, we were in Ohio at the time where um, snow, snowbirds. snowbirds, we were uh, scheduled to go back to Florida in a month or two, but we called our primary care doctor in Florida and she said, get your butts back to Florida because you don't need to be breathing that cold Ohio air if you're dealing with something in your lungs. So when we got to Florida, that's when our doctors started putting together the next steps. And as long as you have next steps, and that's one of the great things about Mark's journaling is we know what the next step is going to be. So we just have to think about that far in the future. And, and, and Mark, first, you were what I think of as young at the time as, as someone who's 65 myself. You were what, 68 when you were diagnosed? Yeah, that's pretty young, isn't it? I think, I think so, right. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I look back on it, Rich, and I lived a nice life. I lived a great life. Uh, I had a wonderful job before retirement. Met Mary Kay 20 years before. We we had fun together. Uh, we were, we loved being grandparents, so, which meant we had to move and all of a sudden become snowbirds and move to Florida half the year and move to Ohio half the year only because there's kids there. And we did that. And as doing that, our life was spent. We had a cruise or two coming up, and everything was looking good until those three words, you've got cancer. Right. And it changes one. It changes one to the point where the very next day I started journaling, just my private thoughts. Mary Kay had no idea. I'd get up about an hour before her, and I'd start writing. Some days it was a paragraph. Some days it was a sentence. Some days it was a small story, short story. But in doing that, it, it made me think back on, on things in the past. It made me think back on what it's like being a father of three 40-year-olds, if I've done a good job or not, helping raise them. It made me look, look to the future. It made me think about 
I wonder what Mary Kay's thinking right now. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to move on. I'm not afraid to go. But if I, if I die, what happens to Mary Kay? Mm. Besides kids, you know, there's no one else. She's a Navy brat. So all of her sibs are all over the country. So what's going to happen? Will she have one house? Will she have two houses? Now, I didn't write those things, but those are my private thoughts. Well, your 76-day journey is uh, an incredible uh, journey to read and unfortunately has a, a very happy ending for you. Now, what inspired you you both to reach out and, and hear the stories of other people who got similar diagnoses, either themselves or for loved ones? Oh, that's an easy one. January 11th last year, Rich, I woke up and I either had a vision, I heard a message, and it was, Mark, this book can't be about you. Well, the whole time, it was my story. But when I, I heard that, I did the exact thing that a smart person does. I went to Facebook, <laughs> and what I did, <laughs> an hour later, I put a note on Facebook saying, hey, we're writing a book about cancer, about other alarming medical diseases. If you are a survivor, if you have someone in your family and you help them out, if you are anything to do with cancer surviving or had it or, or beat it, let me know. And I, I looked at Mary Kay and I said, uh, well, I did it. I said, I imagine we'll get two or three people that respond back. <laughs> By that night, there were 20 people that wanted to be included. Wow. And that just blew my socks off. Like, okay, now it's time to include other people. And that's exactly when we started writing about other people starting with the people we, we got uh, contact with on Facebook, and six months later, the book is published. Well, and it's an, an incredible array of people and uh, the diseases that they have dealt with or family members have dealt with. Did you find that most people had a similar initial reaction to yours when they got the news? Oh, of course. Uh, up until just recently, if you heard the big C or you need a, a transplant or something equally alarming, you're thinking, I'm going to die. And that may have been the case years ago, mm. tens, decades ago, but modern medicine has come so far that it's not a death sentence any longer. It still scares you, but it's not a death sentence. So you can take comfort in that. And I think that's one of the things that the book illustrates. If somebody gets a diagnosis similar to any of those 15 cancers, detailed in the book or the other ailments detailed in the book, then you can rest assured that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And let me see how somebody's dealt with it. We're talking with Mark and Mary Kay Liston. Their book is Diagnosed, Inspirational Stories After an Alarming Medical Diagnosis. Uh, your faith sustained you during this journey. Was it, was it, was it as strong going into this battle as it became at the end? It was, and I think that's what made it much easier for us. And what we found in writing these stories, I didn't say that this had to be a faith-based book. We didn't do anything. as We interviewed different people. I didn't ask specific questions. But in interviewing these people, they volunteered. They volunteered what they went through, what it was like to get chemo, what it was like to get radiation, those people that had alternative treatments, including some holistic methods. They just told me. And with that, we also found out that their faith really helped them in almost 90% of the time. 
And some people's faith was different from our faith, but it was faith. And it was, and the faith led to hope, and the hope led to a more positive attitude, which we discovered is truly the key to getting through something like this. Yes. Well, you know, it's devastating when you get that diagnosis for yourself, but my gosh, as, as a parent, uh, reading the story of, of Thomas uh, at age four, or uh, Mikey, who was 15, I, I can't even imagine as a parent, and yet that's what you do, right? As a parent, you, you find that reservoir of strength because you know your kids need that from you. Yes, exactly. Not only to emotionally support them, but in the case of Thomas, the four-year-old, I've loved reading about how his dad became the one who was the statistician, and he kept mm. the cell spreadsheet, all of the treatments and what was next and what was going on. Mom is the one who communicated with the medical professionals. And so they divided and conquered <laughs> so that they could take the very best care they could of their son and keep a, keep a handle on some control of something, because when this occurs to your four-year-old, you, you lose control. Which I think there's something else in that, too. Mary Kay went with every medical appointment that I had. And what I found was I didn't hear anything that the doctor said technically. She did. And she'd write it down, and she'd ask them how to spell it. <laughs> that way, we always knew what was going to happen, what had to happen next. And all I knew was, well, I think I have to go to the doctor on the 11th. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that's... That's one of the things we learned was bring someone with you to the doctor's office so that they can take notes and listen, another set of ears listening, because sometimes the news that you're hearing is upsetting or alarming or you're just, your brain can't comprehend it. And you talked about that positive attitude, and, and I, was, uh, I was so impressed and, and, I, and I think inspired by the fact that obviously there are down days, but you managed to keep your sense of humor about you. Yeah, it became easier that way. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm usually a very positive person, and I enjoy having a good sense of humor. But that made the whole thing easier. You know, if you can make a joke out of it, hey, I feel good today, guys. Don't worry <laughs> about me today. Or and, and then after the fact, when they said, well, what's what's in your lungs right now? I don't know. It's not cancer. That's all I care about. <laughs> it's <starts> to <laughs> <laughs> How important for people uh, when they have a diagnosis like this for themselves or their family, how important is that uh, support system of, sure, spouses, but also uh, friends and associates? Oh, my goodness. I, we talked to a lot of people whose first instinct was to ghost their friends because they mm. didn't want to make them uncomfortable. They didn't know what to tell their friends about what was going on. And so they deprived themselves of love and support from people who if they knew, would willingly offer it. We learned that it's important to spread the word, to look for love, and to freely and readily accept it because it makes the journey better. We learned that should you be with somebody who's struggling through a difficult medical time, please don't just say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's nice, but it's, it's sort of hollow. If you want to pray for somebody, pray with them right then. We found ourselves doing that with friends recently who are going through a difficult time. And before we hung up the phone, we'd say, well, let's say a prayer. That's much more impactful, I believe, than you're in my thoughts and prayers, which, again, is nice. If, if you find that you're dealing with somebody who is newly sick, um, is 
on their journey, please don't put the burden on them by saying, let me know if I can help. Mm. Because the burden then on the sick person is, gee, I wonder to what level this person wants to help. Rather, offer suggestions. I want to bring a meal to your family next week. Which day works best? I'd like to take you to your doctor's appointment. Which day works best? Uh, Let me please fill your medical prescriptions. Let me get you some food. Let me just come and sit with you and we can just hold hands and be quiet. Whatever, but but let them know to what level you want to help so that they can then accept that freely because the giving is the blessing and let them receive that blessing. Well, that's that's a wonderful idea. Most of us rich don't know how to do this. Right. And people sinners, I am. A good friend of mine had pancreatic cancer. I was afraid to call him because I didn't know what to say. He died. And the biggest angst I had and still think about to this day, I should have called Ken. He was my roommate at one point. He taught me how to play baseball when I was eight years old. And yet I didn't call him along the way and just say, Ken, I just want to tell you, I love you. Now, my next friend that had pancreatic cancer, I think I bugged him too much. <laughs> but I just want him to know that I loved him. Another guy that had uh, a different type of cancer and passed, what I did, if you look at a picture of my face, there's something down around my chin. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we call it these days. We used to call it, uh, it's not a Fu Manchu, it's a goatee. Well, it used to be a goatee. You probably remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I grew one, and I still have it because of him. So there was always something, and I remember telling him, hey, Mark, I want to come see you. Uh, you have to let me know when I can. Can I come today? No, not today. Can I come later? Uh, it's not going to work this month. So I'd call him. I said, remember, I want to come down and see you. One day he called me, or I was talking to him, I should say, and he said, hey, next time you're in Florida, why don't you come down and visit? And I looked at Mary Kay, and I said, Mark's dying. Mm-hmm. And the next trip I could, I went down there and spent a couple of days with him, and I'm so glad that I did. I felt so much better because all I had to do was sit, talk to him. We had tea. We talked about what it's like. We talked about, is it better? It's weird. We talked about, is it better to, to know you're going to die and spend time or have, like my father died of a heart attack immediately when I'm in eighth grade. So which is better? Which is a better way to do it? And he explained to me that knowing helped him so much because he started to enjoy things. He started to sit on the lanai in the morning and just have coffee with his wife. He noticed things he never noticed before. I never thought of that stuff. So getting these lessons in life and being able to look back in life, uh, as I did when I was journaling, really gave me a, a better clue on what to do in the future. And then when I listened to some of the folks in the book say what they said, it's like, I'm getting better at this, but boy, I sure sucked at one point. <laughs> Well, everybody's going to deal with this at some point in their lives, either themselves or their family. What do you hope people take away from this book? A couple of things. Uh, The power of prayer, I think, is really powerful. And the people who relied on their faith found that sharing the burden with God, however they see him, made their journey easier. It also helped them keep positive, which is really important, a positive attitude is important. Uh, The be involved with people, I can't overemphasize that. Be involved specifically. If you get an opportunity to join a meal train with a friend or an acquaintance, do it. It makes you feel better. 
and it also really provides value. Another thing, too, I was talking to, to a, a cancer survivor the other day, and she said, someone told me one time as I'm going through it, I know exactly how you feel. And she said, I got angry. She said, well, when did you have cancer? <laughs> when did you have the type of cancer I had? And they just looked at her. And she said, you don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea what I'm going through. And boy, that could hit home. And the other thing she mentioned was there's so many people that, that say, either, you're going to be fine. Don't say that. You don't know. The other thing with that, too, Rich, is that some people think they're being punished. You know, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I got divorced. I shouldn't have got divorced. Mm -hmm. God's punishing me for that. I hurt my kids because of this. You're not being punished. It happens. So those three things, or those three or four things that we just talked about really are, are, are great excerpts from the book. Well, uh, thank you for all you've done to, to turn this scary diagnosis in, into a positive and to share all of these stories. It is, uh, it is an amazing journey. It's been great to talk with you both this afternoon. The book is called Diagnosed Inspirational Stories After an Alarming Medical Diagnosis. Uh, Mark, Mary Kay Liston, the authors, thank you so much for being with us. We wish you uh, much good health and uh, continued success going forward. And thanks again for making time with us today. Thanks. Thank you so much, Rich. And we do have a website, diagnosedbook.com, that people can go there and find out more about us and, and take them directly to how to buy the book. Mark and Mary Kay Liston, their book is called Diagnosed, Inspirational Stories After an Alarming Medical Diagnosis. Our thanks to Mark, to Mary Kay, thanks to Felix Cavallari, and of course, thanks to you for joining us on Downtown, which is brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. For producer Carrie Haskell, this is Rich Kimball. We'll see you next time on Downtown.